Uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, when I see Pastor Larry, thank you so much for inviting me back. <clears throat> and then I see Carmen and Ryan and Nate and all these guys. Um, quality, quality people you have here. I kind of feel like the old mule that was entered in the Kentucky Derby. I don't have too much chance of winning, but I travel in good company. That's the way I feel. So I'm glad to see you this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about faith and our time together. And it's a subject that cannot be exhausted. While I'm saying this, let me invite you to turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, which is uh, where Larry's series is going here in the future as well. You cannot exhaust this subject, but may I say that faith in its simplest form is believing God. Faith in its final form is God now expressing His life through you. Let me say that again. Faith in its simplest form is believing God. Faith in its final form is God expressing His life through your life. And we're going to talk about how that can be because there, there has to be a beginning to this. Uh, and it starts, in my opinion, with humility. Uh, I remember a deacon friend of mine when I was pastoring in Ohio a number of years ago. <laughs> he would always say something like this. When it comes to humility, I'm the greatest. <laughs> kind of a facetious way of talking about humility. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, some years ago, I was invited to Dallas, Texas, to the convention center to speak to a men's meeting. There were several thousand people in that, and they invited me down. I flew into the airport at Dallas-Fort Worth, and I had uh, an entourage of people who met me there at the airport. They grabbed my bags, and they took me to this car. Uh, they took me to the Dallas Convention Center and took me into what we call the green room. And that's where this little room is set aside for the speakers and so forth and so on. And uh, I said, I sure would like to have a cup of coffee. I love coffee. And uh, you might know that if you're around me a while. And they got me this beautiful ceramic cup, filled it up with coffee and cream. And boy, I just had a good time before I went out to speak. Then I went to another conference. I was not the speaker at that conference. I was a participant. I flew into the airport. No one came to meet me at the airport. No one carried my bags. No one put me in the green room. In fact, when I arrived at the conference, I said, boy, I sure would like to have a cup of coffee. They said, right over there is the coffee machine. Just help yourself. So when I went over to get the coffee, there was not a ceramic mug for me, but it was simple styrofoam cup. And it reminded me of this. All of us just deserve the styrofoam cup. We don't deserve the ceramic cup. And to me, that's what humility is, is understanding that every one of us are just styrofoam cup people. Are we not? And that's what I'm reminded of when we talk about faith. Faith is not to exalt people. Faith is to humble people. And then the humility, the Bible says, if you humble yourself in the sight of God, he will lift you up. That's what the Scripture says. So in Hebrews chapter 11, we find it like this. Faith is a substance of things hoped for in the evidence of things not seen. You see that? Let me just give you my interpretation of that. 
Uh, I asked a teenager one time, when you think of the word substance, what do you think about? <laughs> That's a loaded question, isn't it? He sat down and thought about it for a while, looked up at me and said, well, when I think about substance, I just think about stuff. I said, you know, that's probably the greatest definition I've ever heard of substance. So read that like this. Faith is the stuff that you're made of as a Christian. That's what it's all about. Because the Bible says the just shall live by faith. We will walk by faith and not by sight. Doesn't it say that? So it would be pretty, pretty good if we understood what it is. Because faith, rightly understood, paves the way to the heart of God. Faith, rightly understood, paves the way to the heart of God. And so, faith is the stuff of things hoped for. That mean, to me, it means confidence in. Let me kind of read that verse like this. Faith is the stuff that you're already convinced about concerning God. Are you convinced that God is enough for you? Is Jesus Christ enough for you? When the Lord called my wife and I back to Lynch, Kentucky a number of years ago, 20 years ago to be in fact, uh, <clears throat> in fact, we left the affluence of South Haven, Mississippi to the poverty of Eastern Kentucky. And uh, that wasn't a good idea. And uh, when I, we got back there, the Lord said to me four things. I want you to hear this closely. Number one, he said, you won't have a big fancy home when you get to Lynch. There are no fancy homes in Lynch, but God's given us a nice home. If you have a fancy home, I'm staying in a, a fancy home right across the street. It's, it's nice. So thank you very much. Uh, not against fancy homes. God said you won't have a big fancy one, but God's given us a nice home. Secondly, he said, you won't have all the big fancy automobiles that you have down there, but God's given us a nice automobile. And he said, you won't have a big six-digit income salary with all the perks. In fact, you won't have any salary at all. And so for the last 20 years, my wife and I have lived by faith. Whatever God provides, that's sufficient for us. And you can tell I haven't missed too many meals, right? But the final thing he said was this, Lonnie, though you won't have these things, I want you to know that you will have me. And I said, Lord, as long as I have you, you're all I need. Is Jesus Christ really all you need? Or is he part of what you need? Jesus Christ will never be an add-on to your life. He is your life. That's what he says. I, I didn't come to give you life. He said, I am your life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. Now, listen to this. Faith is the stuff that you're already convinced about concerning God, and then it becomes a reality for everybody else to see. My translation. That's what evidence is. You become the evidence of God. In fact, I heard one say that you are the trophy, the spiritual trophy of God. He gave his son for you. He died upon the cross for you. Therefore, we are to become the ones who display his love and his power and the faith that resides in us. And he goes on to say that for it, by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, the disciples or 
the elders were highly spoken of. It, it's not that they got a good testimony. It's they were able to give a good testimony to God. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be a witness. Do anybody else know what that other word is? It says, you'll be a witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. But we change that word because we really don't understand what faith is. And so here's what we say. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll be a witness for me. He did not say for me. He said to me. Now, what happens in this good testimony is that you are witnessing unto God for the mighty power that he's demonstrated through your life. And everyone else is watching God move through you and touch the world around you. Can you say that that's happening in your life? That is the design of the Scripture for every believer, that you and I are to be the conduit through which the Lord Jesus can share his faith with the world. Now, <clears throat> let's go on down to verse 4. Abel was able, A-B-L-E, to worship God. You know how he was able to worship God? By faith. That's what it says, isn't it, in verse 4? He was able to worship God by faith. Now, in verse 6, you will find it to say this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, if you're not worshiping God by faith, your faith does not please God, or else I miss that verse. Are you with me in this chapter? Look down at verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. What does the word impossible mean? I, I wish we had time to just ask everybody in the crowd, what's your thought of impossible? Let me tell you my thought. There isn't the slightest chance it could ever happen. Right? That's what impossible means. So read it like this. Without faith, there isn't the slightest chance that your life will please God. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Now we go back to Abel. And he, he is able to worship God by faith. That's where true worship comes from. God is a spirit, and all who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, by faith. Not only was Abel, could he worship God, but look at the next verse. Enoch was able to walk with God. How could Enoch walk with God? How can you walk with God? Look at the verse two words, by faith. By faith, Enoch walked with God. Can that be possible in our time? Yes, it's possible in our time. But it seems like we think that faith is for someone else. It's a mystical thing. It isn't. Faith is real. And when you trust God, you believe God, God shows up in your life, and everybody else notices it. That's what God desires to do. So Enoch walked with God. <clears throat> and uh, verse 7, Noah was able to work with God. How did Noah work with God? First two words, by faith. Now, we tell these stories to our children. Now, listen to this closely, because this is a serious matter. If we do not believe that the same thing that God did with Abel, Enoch, and Noah could happen in our lives 
then we don't believe this word. And you know what happens? The Bible becomes a storybook that we tell our children about, our grandchildren about, but it really doesn't affect me. It does affect you, sir. It does affect you, ma'am, because the Bible said it is a living word. The Bible is a living word. If it's alive, then it's got to be alive somewhere. And the only vehicle through which the Word of God can come alive is your life and my life. That's exciting to me. To know that the Word of God can be real just like it was in Noah's day. Noah was able to work with God because God gave him specific instruction as to how to build that ark. I guess you all been to the ark in Kentucky, right? Beautiful place. <clears throat> it's kind of a reproduction of what the original ark was like. But Noah was able to work with God because of his faith. Now, if you go down to verse 13, it kind of gives you the summation of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Pretty amazing to me. And when they saw the things of God, hear this, they were assured of them. That means that they had all the confidence in the world that God was going to do what he showed them. Now, see, faith is not mystical. Faith is real. And so when God begins to show you something in this whole process, then you must come to the place where you believe God. Now, um, let me see if I can find this real quick. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 4. Um, I think it's like verse 10, something like that. Let me see if I can find that. Well, I don't know if it's going to pull it up. But anyway, <clears throat> um, Abraham, as you remember the story of Abraham, he said, Abraham did not think, did not think that God could not do what he said he would do, but he believed God that the one who promised was now able to do it. We've got to come to the point where we believe that the one who promised is now able to do it. I believe God can do anything. Don't you? Do you believe God can do anything? Say amen. amen. You know why you believe that? Because you read about all the wonderful things God's done in, in the Bible. Now, let me, you don't have to say amen to this one. I'll ask you to think about this. Can God do anything where you are? Is God doing great and mighty things where you are? You see, wherever Jesus Christ went when he physically was on earth, wherever he went, the mighty acts of God were taking place. Am I right? The blind were seeing, deaf were hearing, lame were walking, the dead being raised again, thousands being fed. All kinds of wonderful things were happening because wherever Jesus was, that's what was taking place. But now when Jesus was crucified on the cross, resurrected from the tomb, he ascended back to the Father. Now the Bible says that Jesus Christ is still the head of the church in Ephesians, but now he didn't have a body. His body was gone. He's back into heaven with Jesus. And so he had to form a new body. You know what that new body's called? The church. He took different members and put them in this. Now watch. 
If Jesus is the same head, wherever that body is, the mighty acts of God should be occurring. Because that's the body of Jesus. If he did it in the New Testament, it ought to be happening now. But for some reason, we decided that God really can't do what he did then. You know what the Scripture says? Jesus said, greater things than I have done will you do. Pretty incredible, isn't it? Could you say that we're doing more than Jesus Christ did? They were so convinced that Jesus Christ could do what he said that they laid their life on the line every single day. I remember when they, uh, some of you have been in our study session, you've heard this before. But when God begins to work in your life, people come to you with the most unusual requests. If they think you have a link to God, they will be after you. Uh, This fellow in our town, he bought an old theater. This theater was crumbling down, falling down, and closed in the 60s and hadn't reopened. So you can imagine what had happened to this old theater. It was a very beautiful theater designed by a New York theater company uh, back in the 30s before we lived. It was a very affluent town. And um, this guy put some money into this. He got this old theater, fixed it up, painted it up, and it all looked just great. Put a new roof on it. Everything was fine. So he came to me one Friday afternoon. He said, Lonnie, said I, uh, maybe you can help me out. He said, uh, um, I, I want you to pray with me because... Um, I've got all my money tied up in this old theater renovation, and I, I was looking at some theater seats. And uh, they're very, very expensive, and I can't afford the theater seats. Would you have any theater seats that you might give me? Anybody ever ask you for theater seats? I mean, do you think that's weird? So I, my response was this. No, I don't have any theater seats, but I'll tell you what, I'll pray that God might provide us with the things that we need, that the quality of our life would honor God. Would you pray with me that way? He said, yeah. So we prayed Friday afternoon. I get up Saturday morning, I have an email from a friend of mine in Mount Vernon, Illinois, not far from here. Mount Vernon, Illinois. And he said, this college over here has ordered some theater seats, and they're the wrong kind. Would you happen to need any down your way? (laughs) I know you're thinking this is a preacher joke, but no, this is the truth. You'll have to get that in a minute. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, I went back to this Steve, and I said, Steve, God may have given us some theater seats. He said, now, Lonnie, I hate to be picky. Don't you love people like that? Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean, hate to be picky? He said, well, I got all my money tied up in this theater, and I can't afford to have them reupholstered, and I can't afford to have them altered in any way, and they need to be blue, and they need to fit a slanted floor. I said, well, surely if God give us some theater seats, he'd make them the right kind. I don't think God would be that. And uh, when you come to Lynch, Kentucky, and hopefully you will, I'll take you in the Novo Theater. And I'm telling you, all he had to do was put the seats together and bolt them to the floor. They fit perfectly on that slanted floor. And an interior designer could not have matched the color of that wall with the color of those seats any more perfectly than God did. And we had our first concert series in there. Saw 16 people come to know Jesus first night. And since that time, we've had prayer meetings, and it's changed hands a couple times, but God's still using the Novo Theater. 
you know, when people see that you're assured that God can do the impossible, they will beat a path to your door as a church. They will beat a path to your door to say something different is happening there because God's showing up and God's doing something amazing. You know how he does it? He does it by faith. They were assured, it says in verse 13, they were assured of what they saw. I believe God can do the impossible, and I can believe he can do it right here, right where I am. A number of years ago when I was repenting, I repent often. I suggest many of you do that today because it's a good thing. Repentance is always good because God always adds the next chapter. Jesus said this to me, first sermon, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I know that uh, some theologians say that means in the coming age, in the present age, and there's different interpretations. But that day when God spoke to me, he said, Lonnie, when you repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, where is your hand? I said, it's right there. He said, that's where my kingdom will be when you repent. It will be right near you. And from that day to this, God is showing himself strong on behalf of his people. And that's been a long time ago. You know what? Because I believe God is true. When he says it, he says it for me. It's not just Noah I'm talking about. It's you I'm talking about. You can work with God. You can walk with God. And you can worship God when you have the proper faith relationship and properly understand faith. Then you have a path to the heart of God. That's amazing to me, that God would reveal his heart to you or to me. Not only were they assured of that, it says in verse 13, but they embraced it. That means that they hugged it. They internalized it. Man, it was their life. And whatever God was showing them, they were believing God for it. They were embracing that no matter what the world was saying. They were still trusting God. Now, when God comes to you and shows you something, circumstances may not immediately follow. Everything might go left field instead of the correct way. But don't ever look at circumstances You look at what God said, because what God says will always happen no matter what circumstances are. Are you with me? Only if you embrace that. Some of you may be in a tough way this morning, and you're wanting God to show up in a significant way. Well, you begin, you begin by saying, Lord, I don't deserve, I don't deserve the ceramic cup. I deserve the styrofoam cup. But Lord, could you come and fill the styrofoam cup because it's yours? That's where you start. And then you come before God and you repent of that and you trust God. Like I say, repentance is not a bad word. It's a good word. I do it often because I am not perfect. But God is perfect. And as Larry quoted the scripture, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what makes him God. So now we embrace what God has shared with us. When we went to eastern Kentucky, God said, I'm going to make a river to flow from the mountains so that all men will know that God's done this thing. My wife believed that to this day. We embrace that. And when we walk out in the community and somebody says, well, this is not going to happen, you know what I say? 
It's going to happen unless God dies. You haven't heard about him dying lately, have you? God's not going to die. He's going to do exactly what he says every single time. And those who embrace that are those who are called to walk a life of faith that others will be drawn to God through their life. Could you say that of you? Not only did they embrace that, but they confessed it. (laughs) That means that they went out and said, let me tell you what God said. God's going to do this thing. God's going to show up. God's going to change our society. God's going to... Now, we live in a small um, population center. It's not like New Albany. I don't know how many here in New Albany, two, three hundred thousand. Is that what I hear? Somewhere around there. We have maybe twelve to 15,000 in our little neck of the woods. So it's not a very large place. But we have seen four to 5,000 people come to know Jesus. Percentage-wise, that would rank about a third of our entire population. Many of them were already saved. Now we have another third who have come to know Jesus, 33%. Translate that percentage to New Albany, Indiana. What, kind, what would that look like? You know what it would look like? Spiritual awakening. That's what it would look like. God desires to walk through our lives in such a way um, <clears throat> that the world could see God for exactly as who he is. And it is incredible how God would show up. Uh, now, they've asked me to be a part of different kinds of committees. And I was in a meeting um, called the SOAR meeting, Shaping Our Appalachian Region. They invited me to come. The governor was there. The U.S. congressman was there. And all the big dignitaries were there. They showed the, um, what's that, the trailer. I'll think of that in a minute. The trailer of its only cookie dough and asked me to speak to these 1,500 businessmen and people. And so I did. I said, let me tell you what God's doing. And following that, <clears throat> this guy came up and said, I, we want to help you do something over there in Lynch. And I said, okay, how do you want to help me? They said, well, we want to give you some money. Don't you like that? I said, okay, we'll take it. I said, what do you want to help us do? He said, well, get me a project together. So we have an old building there, and now we're involved in uh, uh, creating jobs for our community, helping people, sharing Jesus. And so uh, we're going to start a dulcimer factory. We're going to start our own coffee roasting company. Uh, We're going to start a gift shop. We now have an escape room, and all kinds of things are going on, and it's going to cost me $400,000. So we get together in this meeting. They invite, I invite some other county officials to this meeting. And God ended up giving our little city $2.55 million. Not me, the city. Because God put me in the right place at the right time. And no matter if I'm standing before a governor or standing before a guy on the street who is homeless, I'm talking about Jesus. Because I am convinced that God is able to transform anybody, any city, anytime, anywhere. I believe that, and I embrace that, so much so that I would put my life on the line that God would be true and let every man be a liar. I embrace that. Now, when you come to the time of faith and prayer, then in that time of faith and prayer, if you come to God, you must believe 
you must be assured, you must embrace, and you must confess that what you ask from God will be done. Now, God is not in the business of giving you everything you want, but God can provide you with everything you need. I do not adhere, and if you do, we're, we're, we can disagree agreeably. I do not adhere to the name it and claim it philosophy because I, the Scripture says, can any man instruct God in Job? No man can instruct God. I can't tell God what to do because when I know God's heart, I know what God wants to do. And now I can follow God. I can be assured that God's going to do it because he's just revealed his heart to me. Now I know the heart of God. But we come to God in prayer and we come to God with our lists of things. But I've got some bad news for you. There are no lists in the Bible. Nobody ever brought a list to God. He said, here's my list. You know what they came to God to say? Tell me what it is you want. What is your will in this? And when I understand and know your will, then I will follow that will. In Matthew chapter 5, he talked about praying in faith, did he not? Matthew chapter 5 says that when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Because God already knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, when I saw that in the Scripture, I said, Lord, if you already know what I need before I ask, you know where I'm going with this? Why should I ask? You ever talk to God that way? If you already know what I need, why don't you just zap it down, everything be all right? And you know what God said to me? Lonnie, it's in the asking process that you understand where your heart is and you can come to know where my heart is. And if your asking doesn't line up with my heart, you're asking in vain. That's what he says in Matthew. If, you, if your asking does not line up with the heart of God, let me say it again, you'll be praying in vain. But every single time your prayer matches the heart of God, it's a done deal. God will do it every single time. But you know how we do? Our praying in faith is, I didn't see a prayer list that y'all have. I'm sure you have them somewhere, right? And uh, <clears throat> I've been in churches where they have a prayer list and you pray for these people. Y'all seen that, haven't you? Yeah? And uh, I, I've seen them now where they have front and back. And then to get all of them on there, they had to extend it to eight and a half by 14 instead of eight and a half by 11. And then they had so many, they had to reduce the font so they could get everybody on there. Now, and we come together in a prayer meeting, and we pray for these people. Now, be honest. Be honest. Have you ever got a prayer list like that, that you have prayed for every single person to know if God's going to show up in their life? I never did. But you know how we pray? Lord, bless everybody on our prayer list. It's done. Now, no praying is bad. But some praying is vain. How are you going to know if God shows up? How are you going to know if God does what you say? See, that's what effective praying is like. And we, we use the shotgun approach. We pray about everything. And if God doesn't show up, it's okay. We prayed about it. It's not okay. Because the Word says that when God's people cry out to God, God responds speedily to those who come to Him. And He will come to them on their behalf. 
And could you say that when you cry out to God, that God is responding when you pray? Or is it a shotgun approach? Well, we prayed about that. God didn't show up, so let's go on to something else we can pray about, and we'll pray about that. We'll go on to something else, and we're just praying these prayers, but God isn't showing up. I think Jesus was the master prayer. And he prayed with a rifle approach. I wish I had time to teach you how we pray. Maybe next time we can do that. Uh, because how you pray is just as important as that you pray. And I asked my wife some time ago, I said, "Hun, can you think of a prayer that we've prayed in recent years that God has not answered or is in the process of answering? She said, I can't think of a single one. You know why? Because when you pray the heart of God, you pray what God says, He's going to do what he says every single time. Well, faith is not difficult. Faith, hear this closely, my definition, is hearing what God says, believing God, and watching God do what he says. Is that hard? It's very simple. It's simple to say it's hard to do. You know why it's hard to do? Because we're such doing people. We think we can get this done without God. But you cannot. Without God, you can't do anything. So when people look at your life, sir, when people look at your life, ma'am, can they say, there is a man of faith, or there is a woman of faith? If not, something's got to change. Because the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And I'm going to invite you to come to Christ today with your life, with your heart, and just present yourself before God as a living sacrifice. Now, I'm not here to count heads, okay? But I think God is here to count your heart. He wants your heart in the picture. 